Welcome to another episode of That's So Fetch, where we talk about dating, Torah, and everything in between. As always, I'm very excited about today's topic, and in general, I'm very excited about season two quote of That's So Fetch. I feel like revved up with this new energy, given the fact that I was off for two months, and now my new mentality is like, I'm just going to do it all. Like, I'm just going to make everything fit into my schedule. So here we are talking about homosexuality in the Torah. And just to stay tuned for the future, I'm very excited about collecting bad date stories. So if you're listening to this and you've experienced a bad date, uh, just please reach out to me via Instagram or Facebook or whatever. And I'd love to collect your bad date because I'm collecting a bunch of like anonymous voice notes and funny stories as one does. And also looking into just like some other exciting topics that I've been thinking about. Um, the Shomer Nagia struggle episode did really well, so I'm thinking about creating a part two to that, and very excited for that as well. But today we are here to talk about homosexuality in the Torah, and I'm just going to start off by expressing why I wanted to talk about this topic. And basically, I'm very passionate about identity in general and this concept of self-identity, and I find that when people are really honest with who they are and what they want and what direction they want their life to take, they're capable of accomplishing really amazing things. So part of how I see homosexuality is really when someone decides like, I'm just gonna own this like really significant part of my identity. And I think there is nothing that gives me more joy in life than like seeing people express themselves and be their most authentic selves. I know that's something like I'm very attracted to in life. And I also think in general, my attitude towards Judaism is that, you know, the more people we can bring in, the better. And I don't mean that in like a missionary kind of way. I just think psychologically being part of a Jewish community is good for one's sense of self and belonging and that being involved with other people in this kind of environment is really healthy for yourself. And after this intro, I talk about a really interesting story I found in the Gemara about Rishakish and Rav Yochanan that has some homoerotic themes. And after I open up to a larger conversation about homosexuality in the Torah, because I don't think that you can have a conversation about homosexuality without addressing how much of a friction there is between the text, how we practice, and how, as a Jewish community, different types of people relate to this idea. And aside from that, I myself have asked myself these questions and questioned my sexual identity at various points of my life. And I just think that this topic of homosexuality in the Torah is very much at the crossroads of what that soak fetch is all about, being that, you know, it really butts up against um, Jewish texts and dating and sexuality and reclaiming our Judaism. And in season two of That Soak Fetch, I really want to dive into these questions a lot more about what it means to reclaim your Judaism and about how we approach our Judaism in a way that meets our mental health and psychological well needs. And I'm really excited to keep doing research on 
feminism and LGBTQ issues and female empowerment as we continue to go along. And so I asked friends about different stories of gay folklore in the Torah. There is no explicit mention of like, okay, this is a gay story, but there are a couple instances that are deemed questionable. So one that was suggested to me was Ruth and Naomi and how apparently, and I read a little bit about this, but it's not the story I'm going to focus on as much during the podcast, but basically Ruth, um, when Ruth said to Naomi, like, I will go wherever you go, um, that's like the famous line in the book of Ruth, um, that like whole moment has been portrayed as like this symbol of intimacy between two women and it's also used in the context of same-sex marriages and same-sex like conventions within Judaism so I just found that to all be really interesting and also really inspired me to like look into the Ruth and uh, story because I just think there's a lot there um, and then secondly as we all know David and Yonatan were best friends and I just like had a flashback when I was learning about this that uh, in middle school my teacher was like yeah they were just so so close and now I'm doing like the reread and it's like they were so so gay you know (laughs) um so that's another one that I'm not going to go so much into detail but like if you're interested that's something you can definitely look into but today I'm actually focusing on the story of Rav Yochanan and Rishlakish. And so it starts in Baba Mitziah 84a in verse 12. And before we get into the actual story, I just want to share a little context on the characters in the story because I think it kind of adds to the story. So Rav Yochanan was, formerly his name is Jonathan Bar Nepaha, and he was a great man, student of Rav Nasi, he treated his servants kindly, and he was blessed with many children. He opened academy in Tiberias, and he really studied Torah diligently all of his life and even sold a field house and an olive shed that he had inherited from his parents in order to be able to devote to devote his time to study. He also was known for being very beautiful and reportedly lived more than 100 years and it's actually in this story that we learn about how beautiful he was in this verse. The Talmud says, He that wishes to see the beauty of Rabbi Yochanan, let him bring a silver chalice when it comes out of the silversmith's refinery, and let him fill it with the red kernels of a pomegranate, and then let him adorn the chalice around its brim with red roses, and then place it between the sunlight and the shade. The emanating radiance would be somewhat similar to the beauty of Rabbi Yochanan. So there's this whole description of this beautiful thing, and it's like that doesn't even come close to how beautiful Rabbi Yochanan is. So there you have it. Also, a fun fact, according to Wikipedia, on his deathbed, Rav Yohanan ordered that he should be dressed in neither white nor black, but in scarlet, so that in awakening after death, he would not feel out of place in the company of either the pious or the wicked. And I just thought that was really interesting. Now we move on to Rishlakish, and he has a totally different story, and he's actually considered an anomaly among the giants of Torah study. And according to the Babylonian Talmud, he was in his early youth a bandit and a gladiator, and he lived this wild life. Apparently, early commentators say that initially he was a good, like, whatever, he studied Torah and was good, but then he needed, really needed some money, and he had to give up his Torah study, and he so he sought to support himself by a worldly calling, which is why he sold himself to work in a gladiator circus, and he would literally fight beasts to entertain the crowd. According to other sources, there was also 
a time where he lived in the wilderness and survived as a bandit. So that's Rich Lockish for you. And a hilarious fun fact about him is that he was known for his great strength and of his corpulence, which is a word I looked up that means being very fat. And he was accustomed to lie on the hard ground and say, my fat is my cushion, which is just hilarious and random. So there you have it. Back to the story. I just think that knowing more about them gives it like a really cool context to the story. So basically, one day Rav Yochanan was bathing in the Jordan River and Rishlakish sees him. And Rishlakish says, wow, this guy's so beautiful. And he like sees him across the river and he thinks he's a woman. So he jumps across the river. I don't know how this happens and pursues him. And at that time, Rishlakish, as we know, was the leader of a band of marauders. He wasn't this, he wasn't like a good guy. And so Rav Yochanan says to him, and so he gets across this river because he thought that Rav Yochanan was a woman and he sees that Rav Yochanan is a man. So he kind of is like, what the F, what is going on? And Rav Yochanan says to Rishlakish, your strength is fit for Torah study. So picture this, Rav Yochanan looks at him and he's like, well, um, you look like a burly guy. Like you'd probably be really good for studying Torah. And Rishlakish is like, well, um, your beauty is fit for women. And then Rab Yohanan says to him, if you return to the pursuit of Torah, I will give you my sister in marriage, who is more beautiful than I am. And then after that, Rishlakish accepts upon himself to study Torah. And the very last part of the story is that Rishlakish wants to jump back out of the river to bring back his clothes, but he was unable to return as he had lost his physical strength as soon as he accepted the responsibility to study Torah upon himself. So there are many wild takeaways from this story. And first of all, it's just a very weird series of events. This guy sees this man who thinks is a woman. He jumps across. It's not a woman. And then they have this like very weird exchange where they talk about strength and beauty and who's for who. And it's like, what does this really mean? So I think, first of all, it's important to mention that like, there is a possibility of like a homoerotic nature to this story being that this man is like really attracted to this other man and the only reason it he even like pacifies him is by saying like oh well I have a sister but like she's more beautiful than I am so that's one and another point is that because he you know we learn at the end that he can't get back his clothes on at the end of the story so we have to assume that he was naked, which kind of further makes this story more sexual in nature. And so there's an interesting commentary that a friend sent to me from a book by this author called Daniel Boyarin, who is a Jewish scholar on masculinity from his book called Unheroic Conduct, where he covers this story. And actually, I'm very excited to learn more about this book because personally very excited to learn more about masculinity and gender in the Torah. So in examining this story, he really focuses on the two characters of Rav Yochanan and Rish Lakish and what their mass, like how their gender and feminine or masculine traits describe them. And he also talks about the culture of the time and how Rish Lakish is really depicted as this character of brute and force and how that was seen as something that was so prized and you know, presumably had Rabbi Yohanan been a woman, he might have crossed the water and raped him. And at that time, rape was seen as honestly a good thing because it really showed your like ultimate force and brutality. So, and then in 
other respects, he talks about Rav Yochanan and really expands like what this symbolizes. And he calls him the quintessential symbol of rabbinic Jewish maleness, how he's this man who's studying um, and he's beautiful, but there's also this like highly erotic nature as to how Rav Yochanan is described. Remember that like content, remember when I gave the context in the beginning, Rav Yochanan's described in this like very eloquent, like extravagant language. And it's almost as though he's like a little androgynous, like he's neither female nor male. And he's just this like symbol of piety. And this description of androgynous nature, Bayarin claims, seems to indicate what Judaism values most. And it's interesting that learning Torah is characterized with the more feminine and the moment at the end of the story where he's, he tells him like, or he can't get his clothes on sort of indicates that he's already lost his ability to be that strong masculine person. And I think it's interesting to think about knowing being a good Torah scholar is like synonymous with being feminine. And it just makes me think back to like uh, Yaakov and Esau, for example, and how you know, Yaakov was like always studying and he was like this like scrawny kid, but like Esau was like this brute force person and like that just wasn't his like forte. He wasn't learning in the base midrash all the day. Um, and as I continue to dive into this journey of exploration in masculinity and gender and all this stuff, I'm excited to see what else I uncover in this regard. So in any case, the story is fascinating and I think the reading is really great. And if you read it and find more to tell me about it, I would encourage you to do so. And there you have it. Really interesting stuff. Anyways, I wanted to move into the next portion of this podcast by kind of opening up the conversation of a larger discussion on how Judaism approaches homosexuality and also how different sects within Judaism approach uh, homosexuality. And when I was doing research for this podcast topic... I listened to a very right-wing she-or by a torch rabbi from Houston, Texas about homosexuality and it kind of reminded me of earlier this week I was at the gym and Fox News was on and I was watching it and like, I don't know, there was this moment where, you know, I had my EDM music in my ear but I was watching this like really intense looking lady talking about the border crisis and how Biden needs to do something and how he's being an idiot and it was like this moment of like I'm watching a different side of this argument and like one that I don't relate to as much as we all you know Fox News is kind of a joke among liberals um and I'm like perturbed by this experience and I felt kind of a similar way when I was listening to this uh shewer because the mentality towards homosexuality was just so different like almost to the point where you know you had someone in the audience like raise their hand and say like why would the Torah even think to talk about such a thing and I was like this is so different than like my background and I think I consider myself like you know like kind of orthodox whatever that means these days but when I was listening to this pod this topic and this sure it just really made me acutely aware of like where I hold myself religiously um and what what I view as okay and not okay and basically the shira was saying like okay this is the verse in Leviticus and this is how you should do it and it says you know 
the Torah doesn't condemn people being gay. The, door, the Torah condemns acting on that. And I think that premise really brought into question for me what we are trying to do here, like with the Torah. Because if you're saying, okay, like you're allowed to be gay, you're just not allowed to act on it. What you're essentially saying is you're allowed to have your identity, but you're also supposed to stifle your identity because the Torah is what matters most. And, you know, in the beginning of this conversation, I talked about like how the text how like whether we try to fit the text or the text fits us and I think like that is a really big separator in how me and this right wing torch rabbi view the Torah like just butting in here to re-explain this idea of the text fitting us versus us fitting the text I feel like the community that I'm in is one where we are people that are dynamic and different and interesting and weird and then we create a community that fits our needs versus the other side of the coin which is we have our own things and our own desires and our own wishes but we have this set of rules and we have this community and we must like fit ourselves into what the text says and like what our jewish community is supposed to look like so it doesn't matter who we are because the goal is to fit the community self-identity, mental health, these are the things that are most important. So either you find a way to where the text fits you and your lifestyle or you fit the text. And what he was also saying was, you know, a lot of people will try to like finagle their way to say that, you know, because the Torah doesn't explicitly condemn homosexuality that it's not explicitly condemned and therefore you can do it. But he like got really harsh and really serious and he's like, this is corrupting the Torah, this is changing it, and that's the worst thing you can do in the entire world. And his harshness and his language like really shook me, but it also really made me think about like this idea of adding to the Torah and what how we feel about it. Because I think the question that really comes up here is how does your devotion to the text manifest? And for some, it might be everything you do is about the, what the text says, you just do it, you don't ask questions, you're not better than the text, so that's how it goes. And that's like a very large, widespread mentality. But then there's also the mentality of like, no, like the Torah is more of like a lesson book and it's something that we look to to make our lives better and more meaningful and more spiritual. But when there are points in the Torah where it doesn't make sense, that's sort of like when we don't take what the Torah says because it just doesn't fit in line with what modern culture is all about. And so the question I would want to raise to you is about this concept of appropriating the Torah and whether you consider it a good or bad thing. And my initial response is that I do think it is okay to add to the Torah and to modernize it for today's culture. That being said, the reason I think that is because no matter how you follow the Torah, you cannot follow all 613 mitzvot. And I think that if you take the side of being against homosexuality, you're going to fall into instances where you unintentionally ostracize people that are different from you, which makes you uh, violate the mitzvah of and you know being kind to your fellow neighbor and ostracizing someone else. I think that in coming to full agreement with what the Torah says in regards to homosexuality will make you mess up in some other regard. And the same is true for my argument, which is for homosexuality, because you could say that 
everything in the Torah is emet, and everything in the Torah must be followed because it is, it is the entire truth. So whether we understand it or not, doesn't matter what we think about it. And that's sort of the argument on the flip side. So in that, I'm doing something wrong by not following the Torah that is meant to be this omnipotent, all-encompassing, powerful My book. biggest value is to treat other people with love and respect and care for the different things that they are interested in doing and the different parts of themselves that they can't control. And we have so many communities like this where the main focus is to keep the Torah. And I think what's so beautiful about Judaism is that there are so many different types of communities out there. And perhaps in a yeshivish culture where the norm is to follow every single halacha and like that's really what it's about, the, there's like this level of comfort that, you know, we we fit ourselves to the text like we don't we don't think about like what we want really and what we want to do it's more just like okay like that's all fine and dandy but like we're most comfortable when we're all following the text we don't have to stress over all these different things that the world is presenting us because we know we have this way of life and we're comfortable with it and looking around our surroundings we're all similar and we feel that like home equality with our similarities at the same time coming from my progressive community i think the opposite for me is true that there is a comfort found for me in like a diversity and being around people that are different from me make me very happy so when it comes to my religion i feel my sense of comfort from being people that are different than me and letting them be their truest weirdest selves like to me that's that's my true Yiddishkeit but that doesn't mean that for someone who has a more a, like a more closed-minded view or not even closed-minded but just like it's a different view I think you know what I want to drive this point is that each way to practice Judaism is okay and even if and hopefully you know people aren't hurt along the way but thank god I think you know at the very least if there is a community that really doesn't allow for homosexuality to exist, we're so grateful that like there are so many communities that do and there are also communities that do and also allow you to practice and be involved and be part of Jewish culture and part of Jewish practices. So I think it's super valuable that there's different, different types of Jews because as I said in the beginning, I think that being involved in a Jewish community is really good for a sense of self and a sense of belonging. And truthfully, I think I prioritize mental health over the Torah, to be honest. And and I think that's hard for me to fully come to terms with because I love the Torah and the Torah is like my best friend. But in doing research on this topic, it's as if I've found out that my best friend said that my other friend couldn't practice and love the way that he or she wants to love. And I think that is something that I'm currently still struggling with in that my best friend in this analogy, the Torah, really let me down and said something that really went against the core of my belief system. And that is something that I think I will continue to mull over as I release this episode. And I am very curious to hear if any of you have feelings about this. And if you do, I would really love to talk to you and you know please feel free to dm me over instagram or facebook message me however you are connected to me i would love to hear from you and lastly i think that i carry with myself this feeling that 
the Torah is everything. When I dance with the Torah on Simchat Torah and Shavuot and just like moments when we celebrate the Torah in Jewish ritual practices, I feel like that is everything. And this is a moment where I really feel like my personal boundaries are being crossed in what the Torah is saying and finding a way to make that dissonance work and be balanced is something that I'm still figuring out. I think, you know, God really wants us to be servers of him. And the best way to do that is to make us excited about it. And I know that not everyone might agree with the way that I see things, but what my goal here on That So Quetch is to open our eyes to different types of perspectives. And so with that, I am going to close off and thank you all so much for listening to this wonderful and interesting episode where we really got into the weeds of homosexuality in the Torah and how we approach controversial opinions in the text. Oh,